From KCUR Studios in Kansas City and the Missouri Humanities Council, this is Hungry for Mo, a podcast about the stories behind the iconic foods that shape our region. I'm Jenny Vergara, a freelance writer and the founder of The Test Kitchen, an underground supper club in Kansas City. And I'm Natasha Bailey, a chef, cheese enthusiast, and home gardener. And today we're tackling the heart of our culinary DNA in Missouri, barbecue. Kansas City's cube may be more nationally recognized, but across the state in St. Louis, you'll find just as much love for smoky meat slathered in sauce. We're also going back to look at how barbecue became a Missouri staple in the first place. What are the state's key dishes? And how we even define barbecue today? Hi, Natasha, how are you? Hi, Jenny, I'm good. Good. So we're here talking about our, this is going to be our first season of Hungry for Mo, a new podcast that's going to cover kind of the food that Missouri is known for. And we're going to cover the entire state in this podcast. Are you excited? I'm excited. Great. So if someone were to say to you, Natasha, where's the best place to eat barbecue in Kansas City? How do you answer that question? Because we all get it, right? It is the eternal question that anybody that lives in Kansas City gets constantly from anybody who's visiting. I separate it by meat. Like, I, I like to follow up with what are you wanting to eat? Yes. Because that is the correct until question. I, know that, I don't really know where to send you. I think that's one of those things where we have to break it down by meat. Yes. And then maybe even sauce. Yes. Like, sauce is kind of specific in Kansas City, too. Do you have a, a favorite sauce? I, Gates. I love Gates barbecue sauce. Okay. They're uh, probably number one. Got it. And just the original. The original. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Okay. So do you barbecue at home? All the time. You do? Yes. I'm so impressed already. I don't do any barbecue at home. Like to me, barbecue is kind of the sanctuary. You know, you go out for barbecue. It's one of those things like fried chicken. It's such a mess to make at home and it takes so long that you kind of go out for it. So tell me what it is that you like to barbecue at home. Like what's the go-to? Personally, I love ribs. I like to do it on the grill and then I will kind of cook them really low and slow in the oven so it, you get that like 3 a.m it's they're done and you're like eating them in bed and then you fall right back to sleep and it's the best sleep of your life do we call that barbecuing if it doesn't ever hit a smoker Ooh, i don't know and here my friends is how easy it is to stumble into one of the biggest debates in the world of barbecue what is the definition of barbecue And how is it different in St. Louis than it is in Kansas City? I'm going to start with the basics. Barbecue is the world's oldest cooking method. And in the state of Missouri, that has evolved into two distinct cooking styles. The way I see it, Kansas City barbecue assimilates techniques from across the country, including Memphis, Texas, and the Carolinas. Case in point, KC smokes all the meats, beef, pork, chicken, sausage, lamb, mutton, turkey, and on and on. KC barbecue traditionally starts with dry rubbed meat, smoked low and slow over hickory wood to create that coveted smoke ring, all before dousing it in a sweet tomato and molasses-based sauce. But Kansas City's barbecue calling card, the thing that we are most known for, is our burnt ends, flavorful pieces of meat cut from the point end of a smoked brisket. One last thing to note, Kansas City barbecue can get competitive. The city itself is home to the world's largest barbecue contest, the American Royal, that crowns one grand champion every year, based on how well they can barbecue every single element of that iconic Kansas City platter. 
On the other side of the state, barbecuers from St. Louis prefer pork as their main protein. Racks of rectangle spare ribs, a butcher's cut known as St. Louis-style ribs, will get thrown right on the grill next to rib tips, turkey ribs, and pork steaks. Barbecuers will cook them either hot and fast or over indirect heat and brush them with barbecue sauce until the meat falls right off the bone. The barbecue delicacy in St. Louis is snoot. That's the pig nose without the nostrils, cooked down to resemble a cross between pork skin and crispy bacon. One thing that both cities can absolutely agree on is the importance of having that sweet, tangy, tomato-based barbecue sauce at hand. But all of this makes me wonder, can both of these distinct styles of barbecue found in the state of Missouri be called, well, barbecue? To help answer this, we needed some historical context on how barbecue came to Missouri in the first place. I reached out to soul food scholar and certified barbecue judge for the answer. His name is Adrian Miller. My tagline is dropping knowledge like hot biscuits. I'm a James Beard award-winning author of a book on the history of soul food. Oh my gosh, I love him. Okay. Oh, see? <laughs> That's great. See? Okay. So um, I loved him too. My latest book, Black Smoke, African Americans in the United States of Barbecue, was published in April. And in this book, Adrian tells the story of mostly black barbecuers, pitmasters, and restaurateurs in this country, and how they helped develop barbecue, even though they've been pushed to the margins for decades. What we call barbecue today is really Native American in origin. Native Americans were cooking meats in various ways, and eventually Europeans grafted some of their meat cooking techniques and then later uh, enslaved Africans uh, are thrown into that mix. And that puts us on the world, world to what we call barbecue today. And so as barbecue is becoming more popular and becoming more ingrained as a public eating institution, uh, you have more and more enslaved Africans and later enslaved African-Americans in this country. And because barbecue was so labor intensive, you know, the racial etiquette for a lot of our history is that if there's a lot of work to be done for something, make black people do it. And so that's really how African-Americans get associated with barbecue, um, being its primary cooks. So much so that by the time you get to the, after the Civil War, you have recipes or descriptions of the barbecue process in newspapers. And, you know, there's even things saying, oh, yeah, you have to have a colored man do this, this or this to have authentic Southern barbecue. And so, you know, African-Americans are in a, in a way we're one of the ingredients for the recipe for barbecue. So Adrian says this is how African-Americans became the standard bearers for barbecue excellence in the South. And after the Civil War, they acted as barbecue ambassadors and brought barbecue to places like St. Louis and Kansas City. Some came seeking better opportunities, and others were brought here to create an authentic Southern barbecue experience. For the most part, until you get to the late 1800s, barbecue was digging a trench, filling it up with hardwood um, coals that were burning, uh, getting whole carcasses of animals, so butchering them and processing them, and then somebody had to flip that meat to keep it from burning and add the sauce. What's interesting, though, Adrian says, is that even though barbecue historically is something that Native Americans and African Americans created in this country, white culture has continually tried to redefine barbecue away from people of color. So the first time it happened was with Native Americans. As Southern barbecue kind of develops, which was first called Virginia barbecue, they started saying that basically what Native Americans were doing wasn't really barbecue. Uh, so by the time we get to the mid 1800s, uh, well, the way that Native Americans were cooking meat would not be called, they weren't, it wasn't authentic barbecue. And then 
150 years later, when we get to the turn of the 21st century, we now have various uh, food media people and others redefining barbecue away from an African-American aesthetic. One example he gives is this new emphasis on using high-quality meat to barbecue. In St. Louis, for example, barbecue joints traditionally used pork spare ribs, which are longer, fattier, and leaner. Now some of these newer places are selling shorter, meatier, and pricier baby back ribs. Some are also choosing to use better quality pork, including heritage breeds like Berkshire pigs. Barbecuing used to be a cheap way to cook delicious food for a crowd, but not as much anymore. Uh, Another kind of conventional wisdom is that barbecue should be low and slow, like you cook it for a long period of time over low heat. That's not, a lot of African-Americans don't cook that way. They cook hot, fast, and then slow. But that's not considered authentic barbecue. And then the other thing that is kind of like a a dividing line right now is this idea that barbecue should be unsauced, you know, that you should only season it with salt and pepper uh, and it should be unsauced. And a lot of African-Americans, when they hear that, they're saying, says who? Uh, Because the sauce is a very important part of African-American barbecue culture. No sauce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I need sauce. Mm -hmm. I just don't think I could eat that much meat at one time with no sauce. Texas can say what they want to say. I've been to Texas and had Texas-style barbecue, and specifically brisket. And I went to four or five places, and I felt like I was eating a steak. The slices are really thick. They're good and juicy. They're cooked properly. There's a nice smoke ring on them, a little bit of bark. But they are seasoned with salt and pepper and no sauce. There's not a barbecue sauce anywhere in those buildings to be found. So you're just eating kind of seasoned meat. So it felt like you were eating just a really delicious steak. And after about three days of steak, you're done. Oh, my gosh. You couldn't even ask for sauce. And I did. I made the mistake of going up. And she was like, we don't do that here. Oh. <laughs> the thing with sauce and barbecue is just it pulls out flavors in the meat. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of just goes with everything else that's on your plate. You know, my argument is, hey, there's a lot of different ways to make barbecue. But it's disturbing to me that there are these authority figures who have emerged recently who are saying barbecue should be done this way. And um, what it reflects is uh, a sensibility that a chef would bring to barbecue. Because we have a, right now we have fine dining chefs in the barbecue game much more than they were, say, 20 years ago. And so they're bringing that chef's mentality to barbecue and thus are redefining it. My hope is that we can have a big picture look at barbecue and just say, hey, look, there's plenty of room for everybody at the cookout. Let's not get caught up in what authentic barbecue is. Uh, We can still fight about who makes it the best because that's fun. But, um, you know, this idea of of excluding people or pushing African-Americans to the the sidelines because of the way they make barbecue or have experienced barbecue, I think is messed up. What makes Missouri barbecue different or similar to any other state in the United States? I mean, is what is it about Missouri in particular and barbecue in your mind that kind of sticks out? Yeah, if you think about the history of barbecue, um, it really follows slavery. So um, I often, when I look at regional styles, I'm trying to think, well, where were people before they got to this particular place? And it seems like quite a few people um, from West Tennessee end up in Missouri. A perfect example of this kind of migration is Henry Perry, who came here from Memphis in 1907 and opened Kansas City's first ever barbecue restaurant. 
More than six decades after his death, Perry was inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame at the American Royal in Kansas City. It was actually Adrian who urged the American Royal to create a legacy class of inductees in the first place to make sure these pioneers are remembered. Later this year, the Hall of Fame will induct another legacy, the Kansas City barbecue master, Arthur Bryan, who was one of Perry's apprentices. And Kansas City barbecue fans will also be excited to see Ollie Gates of Gates Barbecue included in the 2021 Hall of Fame. As you can see, Kansas City's barbecue roots run deep. It's woven into our culinary DNA. It defines us. It's why when presidents and celebrities roll into town, there's a good chance that they'll be taken straight from the downtown airport to a local barbecue restaurant. With over 100 different barbecue restaurants to choose from, competition is fierce. But everyone can agree on one thing. If you're selling Kansas City barbecue, you need to have burn-ins. So can you go ahead and define for me what a burnt end in your mind is? Like, what are the characteristics of a good burnt end? Well, to me, just kind of old school, um, it, it's going to be kind of shards of meat that are kind of crispy. So you got kind of some rendered fat. You've got some bark. So you've got some of that seasoning. Um, but, you know, it's just like a little bit of meat, but it's really kind of that crispiness of the, the meat and the fat with the seasoning just kind of all together. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. You know, in Kansas City, sometimes they're referred to as meat candy. <laughs> Wait, that's what they call burnt ends? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And that's how I think barbecue should be. Right. You know, it shouldn't be something where it's dry and chewy and it should be flavorful and juicy and just make you, it just reminds me of a nice summer's day. So Adrian told me that for decades, he thinks Kansas City was kind of the default style of barbecue in the United States. But in the last 20 years or so, that honor has definitely shifted to Texas barbecue. And if you think that hurts, just wait to hear this other thing that he told me. You know, one of the things that really irks me is that burnt ends have been claimed by Texans, and it's clearly from Kansas City. And I don't know, I don't know how y'all let that happen, but I know now that a lot of people think burnt ends are from Texas. So Texas is coming for us again. They're the new competition, huh? It is kind of outrageous and audacious. I mean, surely we can like show some sort of timeline as to when the first burnt in kind of appeared, right? All right, I guess Arthur Bryant's would be technically kind of the the home of the burnt in. I mean, Calvin Trillian in the 1970s kind of highlighted it in an article he wrote for Playboy magazine and put it on the map in a way that no one else had before. Yes. How does one lobby to keep burnt ends in Kansas City, Natasha? We just have to tell people. People will never let that stand. Oh, my gosh. Kansas City would be in an uproar. Oh, my gosh. We have to tell Fire them. in the streets. We have to tell them immediately. Texas cannot steal burnt ends. Another thing that Adrian told me is that in some places, Kansas City burnt ends have almost been gentrified into Instagrammably perfect manicured cubes of meat. Now, you have a generation of diners who um, don't know the before version of burnt ends. So they're coming into they're getting introduced to burnt ends in this gentrified way. And so that's the standard for them now. Uh, so I, I would think that actually if they were served the old school burnt ends, they kind of say, well, you know, this tastes good, but what the heck is this? I mean, faux burnt ends, is that a thing? That is definitely a thing. So my question is to you is why aren't these people being arrested? Um, <laughs> why are you letting this happen? No, I'm just kidding. I know why it's happening. Uh, yeah, so I just think uh, at some point we should just call people out and say, well, look, that's not really burnt ends. This, these, these are what burnt ends are. Um, but you know, that bell may not be unrung, you know, it may be just too late. All right. I'm on it. I'm on the case. 
Back in St. Louis, their barbecue history seems to start with the sauce. Louis Small said he invented America's first barbecue sauce in St. Louis in 1926. Mall set the standard, a sweet red sauce with a secret blend of spices and a lack of liquid smoke. Of course, every St. Louis barbecue joint has their own special sauce today, but Mall's original recipe is still a cult favorite. But as far as I can tell, barbecue in St. Louis emerged from not a single founding father, but a group of entrepreneurs who began selling barbecued pork spare ribs to their neighbors out of their own backyards. The early 1940s saw some of those backyard grillers opening up their own spots, like Drexel Anthony Cheney, who opened up Cheney's Tavern in 1945, and Roscoe Lincoln McCrary and his brother, who opened up McCrary's Pork House in 1948. They all turned pig parts into gold. What, what's distinctive about uh, St. Louis barbecue, I don't think has really caught on. And let me just say in majority culture, because I think in black culture, there's a stronger case for the distinctiveness of, of St. Louis barbecue. Let's start with St. Louis style ribs. They're a butcher's cut of pork spare ribs created by St. Louis meat packers that aren't really even considered a barbecue dish. For those who don't know, the St. Louis cut was really just to create a more rectangular, uniform look um, for a rack of ribs. Because uh, you know, if you look at a, a, just look at a rack of ribs, it's, it's kind of, you know, ovular, um, and it's a, it's a weird-shaped oval. Uh, and so this was just to make it look more rectangular. Rib lovers grew to appreciate the cut, and they were actually willing to pay a little more for it. Plus, the ribs were aesthetically pleasing, and they cooked more evenly. It was a win-win-win. And you can't even talk about St. Louis-style ribs without talking about their equally well-loved byproduct, rib tips. And rib tips were really something you really only saw in black joints, um, but now rib tips are everywhere. You can think of rib tips as kind of a happy accident, sort of like burn ends. The difference is these little guys have a tough piece of cartilage running right through them, so it takes time to cook them tender. Well, you know, the, another thing that you find in St. Louis is, is are pork steaks. It's, it's cut in a certain way that it, it's it's boneless, um, but, you know, it's something that it, it's, it's, it's on that borderline between grilling and barbecue. I wondered if you could weigh in on that. What do you think? Defining barbecue is like catching a grease pig, right? I mean, you know, as soon as you think you've got got it down, there's always an exception that emerges. So to me, it's it's just a matter of time. I'm just thinking to barbecue something, there should be a couple of hours involved. And, um, you know, anything less than that, I'm thinking that's grilling. So based on that definition, pork steaks, while delicious, aren't technically barbecue. St. Louis-style ribs, for me, could kind of go either way. The time needed to cook rib tips into something tasty definitely gets points toward calling this a barbecue dish. But really, who are we to judge? If it looks good and it tastes good, who cares if it meets the definition? Okay, there's two important dishes in St. Louis that we haven't even talked about yet. Snoots and turkey ribs. So I went straight to the source and called up one of the best old school barbecue joints in St. Louis, Smokey O's. My name is Earlene Walker and I am the co-owner of Smokey O's and the wife of Otis Walker. Uh, my name is Otis Walker. And it's so nice to be spoken, spoken with you guys. Earlene and Otis opened Smokey O's in 1997 as a tribute to Otis's mother. His mother's family had uh, a barbecue restaurant back in the uh, mid-40s. 
And that's where his mother worked as a teenager. And as a result of her marriage, she no longer could work because her husband wanted her to be a stay-at-home mom. So what she would do would have backyard barbecues for the community. Otis contributes to the meaty side of the menu at Smokey O's, and his wife, Erlene, makes all of the side dishes based on her mother's own recipes. It was actually a natural division of labor that they figured out when they were still courting 51 years ago. And his parents had invited me to dinner uh, so that they could meet me. And I went home and I told my mother, I said, Mama, they don't have any vegetables. They didn't have one vegetable. All they had was meat for dinner. They had barbecue, they had a roast, and they had a turkey. No vegetables. And my mother and I, we just laughed. (laughs) So I told him he was very carnivorous. At Smokey O's, one of their biggest sellers is the pig snoot, made from the pig's nose. Even television personality chef Andrew Zimmern said that Smokey O's snoots are one of his top 10 favorite barbecue dishes in the country. That's going to be a hard no for me. I I cannot do it. It's going to look a little too real. And I am a texture person. And that, I don't know if I can handle that texture. Wait, they serve them crunchy like bacon chips. Are you with me now? I thought so. At Smokio's, they take these tender chunks of meat and fat and they trim it from the pig's nose and head. Not the button or the nostril, that's trimmed off and discarded. And then they cure the whole thing overnight. Those get rubbed with a little cayenne pepper, a little salt, and it's grilled for almost an hour until the fat has completely rendered. So all you're left with are these little bacon chips that are crispy and crunchy and a little spicy. And then they cover the whole thing in barbecue sauce. So you just kind of like a Dorito chip or something like that, or uh, 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 like a, a, a dip chip or something. You can get hooked on it like crack, you know? The snoot is like crack, okay? Once you get into that snoot, you, you just, oh my God, you got to have it. But their snoots are truly unique because they don't fry them to get them crisp. They dehydrate them, and that's what makes them so crunchy. So it's not a fried product, and, and it's one of the most healthiest products that we have outside of uh, the uh, turkey ribs. Have you ever heard of a turkey rib? (laughs) I've not heard of a turkey rib. No, I've not. I don't know if a turkey even has ribs. I I kind of question that. Or meaty ribs. In general, but it's basically the shoulder that is trimmed off of a turkey. And the little piece of flap of meat that's kind of on there is wrapped around the shoulder blade bone. And it is grilled. It looks almost like a chicken wing, kind okay. of. It's, a, it's about that size, maybe a little bigger than that. Um, but it's just, it's tender, it's juicy, and it's basically grilled just like you would grill kind of a rib. Um, wow. What I really appreciate about St. Louis is that it doesn't seem to have saddled itself with the baggage of making barbecue conform to any particular cooking method or style. Whether you're grilling or smoking, using pork or beef, preparing it in a restaurant or even in your own backyard, traditional styles that are made with passion, steeped in culture, or more modern styles destined for the judge's table, there's room for all of it, as long as you budget enough time. The biggest key to to cooking good barbecue is uh, if you're looking at it, it's not cooking. 
To me, Kansas City is a lot more dedicated to its one particular style, the one that dates back to Henry Perry a century ago, with Kansas City's Barbecue Society on the education side and the American Royal on the competition side, there are standards that have emerged for how Kansas City barbecue should look, feel, and taste. Missourians might always disagree over what the right way is to make barbecue, but what's most important is arguing about who makes the best barbecue and who we get to eat it with. As a kid, my favorite place was Smokestack Barbecue. I thought it was just like that big fries and best burn-ins and ribs that you could ever imagine. And it was just like, they were like family. We went there every week, almost it seemed. Even though we barbecued at home all of the time, always had the smoker going, we would always go there and at least one time a week and just treat ourselves. Barbecue, for the most part, was celebration food. In, in the earliest iterations, it was getting together with family, maybe extended family, maybe a few friends. There are records of barbecues, you know, where 10,000, 20,000 people are showing up. Barbecue is a celebration food, and that's why I want to end this episode with a celebration, not a competition, of the best barbecue in Missouri. And that is dishes from around the state that you would put on your ideal plate. Oh, man, this is pressure. Okay, so my dream barbecue plate would have a thick, juicy slab of beef brisket from Harp's Barbecue. It would have Chipotle ghost pepper jack sausage from Scott's Kitchen. And it would all be slathered in the Jones Sisters sweet and tangy barbecue sauce. And then I'll take a side of coleslaw from almost anywhere. I would take um, the poor rust from Jack Stack. It's a loaded baked potato with chopped burnt ends and their like smoky barbecue sauce. Okay, just noting for the public that she has chosen to start with a potato yes. for her dream plate. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking of places like CK's, uh, Pappy's, Smoky O's, I think are the names of some of the St. Louis joints. Uh, and then Kansas City, I love Gates. I love Del C's, as I mentioned. I, I'm a big fan of Q39. In fact, I was recently on the Drew Barrymore show and we had a, I had a judge a national barbecue and we got samples from three different barbecue restaurants and I picked Kansas City Joe's as the best. Unfortunately, not everybody agreed with me. So somebody else was christened the best bar bite of barbecue. I would like to have some snoop. I would like to have some ribs and of course some rib chips. And we got some greens there and of course potato salad. And also of course slaw and, and we also have a cornbread. I think that would kind of uh, do me pretty good, Tara. <laughs> I love a side. It just makes the whole plate look good. And I think that that is the plate for us is super important. Every component has its spot on that plate. So it's not just about the meat. It's about everything together. Hungry for Mo is a production of KCUR Studios with support from the Missouri Humanities Council. This episode was produced and mixed by Mackenzie Martin with editing from Gabe Rosenberg. Our team also includes Suzanne Hogan. Mike Russo is the head chef of KCUR Studios. Music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Natasha Bailey. And I'm Jenny Vergara. Next week... 
me. People were trying all sorts of crazy stuff, mustard gas, uh, flooding the vines, burning the vines, hoping things get better. We'll be looking at how Missouri was in the forefront of the global wine industry until a tiny bug almost ruined it all. Don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed to Hungry for Mo in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We also love hearing from you. Shoot us an email at hungry at kcur.org or find us on Twitter. KCUR is at KCUR. Or if you want to catch me directly, find me on Instagram at EatableKC. And I'm on Instagram at JJ Vergara. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Hey, Suzanne Hogan here, host of A People's History of Kansas City, another podcast from KCUR Studios. I just wanted to say that if you like this episode about Missouri's barbecue, you might also like our episode about Henry Perry, the father of Kansas City barbecue. Just search for A People's History of Kansas City wherever you get your podcasts. Hungry for more of the best barbecue in Missouri? Join KCUR's weekly creative adventure email, where we dive into the top barbecue spots across the state, plus more adventures in Kansas City and beyond. Sign up today at kcur.org slash adventure. We need somebody, we need a famous Kansas Cityan that America would recognize to write the piece that says why Burnt Ends stays and belongs in Kansas City. No? This is my... Paul Rudd. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Rudd. I need Paul Rudd to step in and just eat some barbecue with his buddies. Dear Paul. <laughs> helps. You know what? He'd do it. He would do it. He would do it. And people would love it. And then we're, we're back where we're supposed to oh be. Oh, my gosh. I would love to see Paul Rudd talking about burn-ins. Yes. That would be a dream.